Well, good morning. It is so great to see you this morning. I'm told that last year on Black Friday that Americans sat home and they got out their devices and they started to shop. And they spent $5.1 billion that day last year. I'm told that 50 million people watched the Macy's Day Parade. That's um, something that, that I, I, my wife has always loved watching parades. I'm, my daughter, Becca, loves to watch parades. But now my, my daughter-in-law, Amy, she loves them. And so, boy, they just have this coalition of, of watching the Macy's uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade. And um, I, you know, I, I tr- I'm trying to get into it a little bit. It's not my, I wouldn't say that it's my forte. My forte is the meal. That's, that's my favorite part. And um, they say that an average Thanksgiving meal... Um, Brian, this probably won't shock you, but it's somewhere between 3,000 and 4,500 calories on Thanksgiving Day, um, and that uh, it takes 10 hours on a treadmill to work that off. Just, I just want you to let that sink in everywhere. <laughs> just, it's, it's, it, it is whether you want it to not or not, it's sinking in everywhere, um, but... Um, I, I, I just, I love the Thanksgiving holidays. Um, um, I, I heard the story uh, confirmed in the, uh, um, you know, out in the, the cafe today. Um, there were some folks from Silver Creek that were there at the game, and they ran into other people from Silver Creek at the game. What are the chances of that happening? That is, hey, aren't you from Silver Creek? Yes. I, I mean, come on. Let's just be honest. But I was rooting for the Lions that, that entire game. And, and there is a Bears fan uh, here at the church, and I was not rooting for the Bears. I was rooting for the Lions the whole, the whole way. But I, I realize that not every family um, feels about Thanksgiving the way that I feel about Thanksgiving. Um, that, that you don't necessarily love spending time with everybody at Thanksgiving. Um, maybe your turkey in your family gets served with a, a, a side dish of passive-aggressive stink eye. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, some of you, re- you really know what I'm talking about. Others, you're, if, if you're wondering, you know, then that's great because that means that that's not the case in your family. Um, but holidays remind us because relationships are messy. Family can be messy, okay? It's the truth. And, and we've, had, we've had years um, where, where holidays were very messy, when, when a person walks in and the, the messiness is surrounding that person, it gets, it's just messy, okay? So you just try to do your best to make it through until they leave. Um, but relationships are messy, and that's just a part of, of our humanity, okay? And it's reality. And everybody has different things. You know, everybody has different drama um, that surrounds their particular family, 
But the holidays remind us often of our need for forgiveness, our need to forgive. Maybe it's even our need to be forgiven. Um, But today, what I'd like to do is look at, at three obstacles to forgiveness, and these are lies. I, wanna, I want us to look at three lies that stand in the way that, that people, sometimes we ourselves, believe that are those obstacles for us to actually forgive, and I'd like to dispel those, those lies in our message today. Lie number one, let's just jump right into it. Lie number one is that if there is no repentance, then there can be no forgiveness. That's a lie. And I want to, to just sort of uh, say a few things about it. Many of us have this picture of how forgiveness should look, okay? Um, we, when we are offended, we imagine this apology, okay? Because this is how forgiveness is going to take place. And we imagine what it's like. We imagine the setting. We, we imagine, you know, what we're, you know, what we're wearing or what we've been doing. We imagine that other person being there and how they might approach us um, in order for, for this apology to take place. And, and, and the thing about apology is, is it's not the same for everyone. Um, I read a book by Gary Chapman really good book. I I would recommend, um, the first book I would recommend of his is called The Five uh, Love Languages. If you are married or would like to be married, um, I would recommend this book. The Five Love Languages is fantastic, but this book is called The Five Languages of Apology. Different book. You need to read the first one, get married, and then read the second one because you're going to need it. Just putting that out there. Okay. But the five languages of apology show that people, they, what they expect in an apology is different. And Chapman breaks it down into five different groups of people. And the first group is the group that needs uh, someone to really express how badly they feel when confronted with the offense that they have created. They, want, they really need someone to express deep regret. They need to get in touch with how, how deeply they feel about how badly they have hurt us. And so we, we want that sense of, of regret. Um, others um, have to, they, they want somebody to really own the responsibility that this was, this was your fault, this was not my fault. They, they want them to own it. They, they want there to be this sense of accepting responsibility for the offense that has taken place. Thirdly, um, there are those that need a sense of genuine repenting. They want to see a change of direction. What they want to be assured of is that this will never happen again. Now, I just I, I want you, as, as we're saying this, I, I, I need to throw caution into here, okay? Because even these desires in our apology... There, there are lies, e- even as I'm going through this, I'm like, but this is never, it's not even humanly possible. Because no one can, can make sure that something will never happen again. It's just not a part of how we are made. But for some, we want there to, to, to see that this, you know, that somebody is going to make sure that this never, ever happens again. And that's what we're really looking for. Um, for others... They want there to, to be a request made for forgiveness. 
Because as the person who's been hurt or offended, they want to be approached. They want to have the opportunity to grant forgiveness. They want to be empowered to be able to, uh, to, to, um, to forgive that other person. And, and for many, without one of these types of, of apology being made, there is no forgiveness that's going to be granted. And until someone meet one of these requirements, it's not going to happen. The problem is, and it may, it may be happening in, in your situation, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure, but somebody could have offended you or hurt you, and they're trying to apologize to you, and they're using one, two, four, and five, and you're waiting for number three, okay? They're doing everything they can think of, and they just missed the thing that particularly speaks um, forgiveness and apology to you. And so uh, this, this process can be, can be very difficult um, in order to, um, to see what we want to see happen, which ultimately, um, sometimes we confuse forgiveness with reconciliation. Reconciliation is when both parties come to the table and they want to see uh, change ultimately that happens. And, and, and so what we tend to sometimes do is, is we, we want to withhold our forgiveness. But forgiveness is about the release of bitterness. And we tend to make it about other people. When we hold our forgiveness back, we're focusing on the offender's sin. I love what Louis B. Smeads says. He said to forgive is to set a person free and discover that the prisoner was you. That's a great quote. It's not scripture, but man, it's, it's got some pretty powerful truth to it. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to refer to several scriptures from the Sermon on the Mount, he made some radical, I mean, what he was saying is radical. And I'll, I'll get into why it was radical in a moment. But in chapter 6 of Matthew, verses 14 and 15, he said, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus is making forgiveness about us. Not about the person who offended us, not about the person who sinned us, not about the person who wronged us. Jesus is making forgiveness about us. Now, we're talking relational forgiveness. We're not, we're not talking this way. You, you understand what I'm saying? Our relationship with God is this way. We're talking about this way, all right? We're talking about horizontal forgiveness, person to person. And, and, um, and, and, and what, what we, what we want to do is that we feel that, that um, in order to, to, to forgive, that something ultimately has to happen. And, and we must forgive, Jesus says, in order to be forgiven. Um, Jesus, I'm so glad, Jesus did not make repentance um, something that had to happen before he went to the cross. Could you imagine Jesus? Well, I, I don't think I'm going to go to the cross and take the time to die because Mark has not yet repented of his sin. 
Think of that. If, if that were the case, Jesus would never died for you. He would never have died for me. Jesus did not wait. And, and I, just to let me, let me bring, this, bring this home for you, the prophet Isaiah um, just says something about each and every one of us, okay? Our, our own righteousness. He says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And, and before you, you think of a, a, you know, a pile of um, you know, rags that every one of us has rags in our house, and when those rags get dirty, you know, we throw them in a special place in the laundry so that we can wash all the rags together. That's not what he's talking about. Um, in 2,800 years since Isaiah wrote this, there have been some pretty um, wonderful developments in the area of feminine hygiene products because what Isaiah is talking about is actually those kinds of things, okay? And I, I don't, I, I'm not saying that just to be gross, but that is the picture. Scholars tell us that, that what he's saying in the Hebrew is actually alluding to those things. And that takes the idea of our righteousness being filthy to a, just a whole new level of understanding. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, the apostle Paul says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still filthy, while we were still unspeakably unclean, Christ died for us. In fact, the Bible, the Bible says that while Jesus was being crucified, that he forgave those who were crucifying him. Luke chapter 23, verse 34 says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Before any of us ever took a step toward Jesus Christ as our Savior, Jesus died on the cross and he offered us forgiveness. He offered to forgive us before we ever repented. So the lie that there is no repentance before there is forgiveness is something that we need to confront in our own thinking. We think that if they repent, then we can forgive. But I want to remind you that Satan is a liar. And Satan has been lying to mankind since the garden. And we read in the book of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 4, Satan says to Eve, you will not certainly die. Lie. Satan's been lying to us ever since. And he has lied to us regarding forgiveness, that without repentance there can be no forgiveness. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, the apostle Paul says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If you have any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. The important thing in that verse is that the Lord forgave you. Therefore, you must forgive the sins of others. It doesn't say go to them and extract it out of them. It says forgive. Lie number two. Forgiveness lets the offender off the hook. You might think to yourself, if I forgive without an appropriate apology, that I'm excusing the wrong that they have done to me. 
And I don't think I should do that. In fact, you might even think that by doing so, you are devaluing yourself. In fact, in fact, they might keep doing it. Or they might do it to other people. So by me withholding forgiveness, I'm holding them to account to make sure that they don't ultimately get away with it. This lie, I think, really taps into our desire for justice. Because we want to make sure that justice is done. We want to make sure that someone is held to account for what they've done to us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, back in in the Sermon on the Mount again, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Now we're getting somewhere. This is the kind of gospel that I've been talking about, Pastor. This is, now we're getting somewhere. This is the gospel of retaliation. I like it, okay? And you're telling me it's in the Bible. Yes, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible, in fact, three different times in the Old Testament. Let me read from Leviticus chapter 24, verse 20, the second part of the verse. It says, the one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Finally, this church is starting to come around to my idea of relationships. The only problem is that we're not exempt from it. And so when we inflict injury, that same process is then fallen on us. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying that this is a new king. This is radical. You say, why is it radical? He's going against the Old Testament. He is is literally saying something, and when I say different, he actually is saying something that is, is further and above where the Old Testament law dealt with. You see, the Old Testament uh, law dealt only with the outward. It didn't deal with the inward. And Jesus is taking it beyond that. And so here's what he said. He said, Matthew 5, 39, he said, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Before I read the rest of that, I want, maybe you haven't seen it before, but there's this new sport. Okay? There's two, it's not just men, it's women also. But you have two people standing on opposite sides of a table. One guy goes first, and he holds his hand up to the other guy's cheek, and he measures it. And he takes a few, you know, just he's, he's got to get it down because he wants to track perfectly. And then with all the fury that he possibly can, and with a closed or an open hand, he slaps that guy's face. And the goal is to stand there and to not black out. Okay? And then guess what? It's the other guy's turn. So he gathers himself, shakes it off. I mean, they chalk up and everything. Okay? And then he comes back, and he's going to, he, okay? So I want you to think of that happening as I read these words of Jesus. I tell you the truth, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, you need to get yourself back up and gather yourself and measure them up, okay? Because now it's your turn, baby, right? 
Is that what the Bible says? <laughs> no, it says actually we turn the other cheek. We would like it to say, smack them, right? We would like to say an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's how we, we would like to have it. You say, how is it possible for us to actually do this, to turn? And listen, I, th- I think the last 18 months, this has been, it's been hitting us right here. It has been hitting us right here. Our families, our friends, sometimes our spouses, they've said things that feels like they are slapping us across the face. And what do we want to do? We want to wind up and we want to clock them. And Jesus is saying that's not what we're to do. Is it possible that this desire for justice that we somehow have is is really a passive desire for revenge? God, I'm I'm not going to do anything, but I pray that that you would do what David said and break all their teeth and do all, you know, just, just, God, just get them. Just just get them. I won't do anything. I'll, I'll let you do it, but... We want this sense of, of justice. We're concerned that the offender won't be punished. Romans 12, 19, the apostle Paul says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. I want you to understand that, that your unforgiveness hurts only you. It doesn't hurt that other person the way you think it does. It doesn't somehow hold them accountable the way that you think it does. It hurts you, and it does damage to you. I heard it described this way. I I love this. I can't take credit for this. A a person said that unforgiveness is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. That's, That's pretty powerful. You know, sometimes we say, (laughs) you know, I'll forgive, Pastor, but I won't forget. You ever hear anybody say that? We've all heard it. You've heard it. If you're paying attention, you've heard it. I'll forgive, or I'll let God help me forgive them, but I'll never forget because they wronged me. Uh, That's always interesting when we hear that. Do you know that forgiveness produces less stress in your life than unforgiveness? Do you know that forgiveness produces better mental health in your life? And I'm just saying, we all need better mental health in our lives. We just do. In 2017, there was a study that said that though, found that those who are bent on forgiveness, in other words, they are determined to forgive that they, it actually increased the spiritual growth potential in their lives. As the church, man, we should be all over this. I mean, we should be leading the way in this because of, of us needing forgiveness from Jesus. In 2015, this is, you got you to grab this. Those who are determined to intentionally forgive, the study found a direct link in being able to forget. Remember, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. You're not intentionally forgiving. If you are intentional about your forgiveness, there's a direct correlation to being able to forget. 
And real health comes when we're able to get to that place. John 8, 44, Jesus, again, he, he calls the devil the father of lies. He said that when Satan speaks, he lies, and that's his native language. He is lying to us when it comes to forgiveness. And he's lying to us when he says that forgiveness lets the offender off the hook. Number three, the third lie that is an obstacle to forgiveness is that forgiveness is a feeling. Holidays are a time for warm feelings. And um, I, I was looking forward to our Taylor Thanksgiving. That's our Christmas because we're all working at churches. And so we don't have the ability to be together like at Christmas Eve and Christmas Day because Christmas Day you're just exhausted from Christmas Eve. And um, so we determined years ago that we were putting all the marbles in on Thanksgiving. That was going to be it. I mean, we're going to have a great time. And um, last year, because COVID was so rampant here in the UP, we decided that it was not safe for us to go to be with our family. Um, for them, you know, it really wasn't safe. And so to say that I was excited this year was an understatement. I'm just, I'm just craving this, this time together. And COVID struck. And several people from different families were sick to the point where we decided to cancel the entire event. And I was, I was running Thanksgiving morning with my normal running partner because I wasn't leaving town. And I said, I, said, I can't figure out. I, I said, I feel terrible. I, I cannot. I, this run is not, this is not enjoyable in any way, shape, or form. And I know what you're saying. No run ever is. I know what you're thinking. And I, I was just terrible. I felt like I was dragging a car behind me. And then it, it dawned on me that all my Thanksgiving joy has been sucked out of my soul because I'm not able to go to my family event. You know, we love feel those kinds of feelings. I love the feeling of those gatherings. Those are really important to me. Those are really special to me. So do you think that forgiveness, like the warm feeling at Thanksgiving, do you think that's, that forgiveness is a feeling? Is, is, is forgiveness something that, that is, is something that just comes over you inexplicably, something that you cannot control? Um, I, I think of it in terms of, of you know, when, when someone falls in love, you know, everything's just perfect, you know? And we fall in love. And, and, and there's just this feeling that, that, that you can't do anything about. Is that what forgiveness is? It's just all the conditions have to be right and, and it just sort of happens inexplicably. I, I want to challenge that type of thinking. Because I want you to remember that your feelings, just like Satan, your feelings will lie to you. In Revelation 12, 9, Scripture says that Satan, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, your feelings, just like the enemy, your feelings will lead you astray from the truth. And the truth is something that we need to stay connected to. 
And your feelings will say, I don't feel like forgiving. The enemy will say, you don't need to forgive. Forgiveness isn't a feeling and it will never start as a feeling. It begins with a decision to release the offender from their responsibility for what they've done to you. But I want to assure you that a sense of joy can come. A feeling can come eventually. C.S. Lewis said something about love that I, I want to read to you, and I want us to apply it to, to forgiveness. C.S. Lewis said this, when you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. So, let, let, me, let me go through this again. The more we act like we love someone, the more kindness we show them, the, the more we believe the best in them, the more that we're there for them, the more compassion, the more empathy, the more emotional support that we have for them, the more that we will come to feel as if we love them. I want you to take that same thing and apply it to forgiveness. The more that we lean into the idea of forgiving, the more we will feel like forgiving. What C.S. Lewis is saying is that feelings follow action. If you want to feel something, start acting it first. Start doing it. Start putting action to it, and your feelings will ultimately follow. I want to illustrate a point, that point, with a story about a woman that some of you have heard of. Her name is Corey Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom was a Dutch woman that was sentenced to a Nazi concentration camp because uh, she and her family helped Jews escape. And she was a Christian woman. And when she was in the concentration camp, the prison guards treated women horribly. And there was one specific guard that was um, very, very horrible to her during her time in the concentration camp. And several years after the war, she uh, was out speaking publicly at a church, and it happened to be that she was speaking on the subject of forgiveness. And an older gentleman at the close of the service came forward to the front. And she knew as soon as she saw him who he was. He was that prison guard. He told her that he had become a Christian after the war. And he reached out his hand to her. And he asked this question. Do you forgive me? I want to read the response of Corrie Ten Boom at that moment. She said, I had to take the man's hand. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. I told myself, I can't lift my hand. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. Jesus, you supply the feeling. And as I reached out my hand, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder 
and raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. It wasn't until she acted that she felt it. Friends, don't wait for a feeling because that would be a lie. Don't accept that. I'm sure that for you as I close, I'm sure that for most of you, Thursday was a day filled with bounty. As Americans, we experience it more than anyone else. I mean, our table was filled with the, with the best and, and most wonderful things. You know, there's, there's stuff from my mother-in-law who's been passed away now for four years. You know, her fruit salad. Um, my, my mom's stuffing. I'm, I, I said in the first service, I'm really blessed because most women, they make their mother's stuffing. And my wife never liked her mom's stuffing, and she liked my mom's stuffing. So my wife makes my mom's stuffing. I really feel good at Thanksgiving. I'm going to talk more about some of that stuff in December with the traditions that we engage in. But it was uh, turkey, you know, I mean, the stuffing, the mashed potatoes, the gravy, the cranberry sauce, you know, the fruit salad, the corn casserole for my sister-in-law, all of these things. It was, I mean, you, you take a breath, okay? You literally, the, 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 the plates, they were my grandmother's plates, my mother was separated from her mother for 47 years. I have, we, my wife has the plates from my grandmother. You know, I, I, if you've heard me do a, a wedding, you hear me talk about the blue stemware, the glasses. Those are out. The special silverware, the tablecloth, it's all there. It's just gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's a table of bounty. Do you know that God has a table? And it's not turkey and mashed potatoes and stuffing. It's a table that's filled with forgiveness. It's heaping over. I would never think of leaving that table on Thursday without having eaten myself silly. But yet we come and we hear the word of God declared and how many times do we leave the table and we're not filled because we have bought into the lies of what forgiveness really is would you bow your heads with me father I thank you for this Thanksgiving season I thank you for your word I thank you for the bounty of your presence the table I'm reminded that Scripture says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Whew, man, it's a table of forgiveness. And Father, I, I don't know who.
who needs this word today, but I believe that someone does. And so I pray that we will not walk away from this table today, but that we will say, God, I'm going to embrace the truth as it relates to forgiveness. And that truth is that there does not have to be repentance in order for me to forgive. I'm going to believe the truth of your word that says that that forgiveness is not going to let that person off the hook. And that forgiveness is not based on a feeling. Father, I'm going to reject those lies and I want instead to believe the truth. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, just before we dismiss this morning, if, if that's you, you just have a sense that God wants to do a work at the table in your heart as it relates to forgiveness and how we sometimes buy into these fallacies. As we close, I just want to pray for you. If that's you, just slip your hand up so that I can be in prayer for you. But I I just want to make sure, yes. Anybody else? You can put it down. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Father, Thank you for spreading out such an elegant table before us. A table of thanksgiving. A table of forgiveness. God, I pray that, that each and every one of us would, would say, God, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy into the truth. I'm going to reject the lies that I hear the enemy speak to me. And instead, I, I want to feast on the truth of your word, the truth of what forgiveness really is. And so, Father, we simply, right now, we simply say, okay, Lord, I acknowledge your truth and I reject that lie. And Father, I thank you. And Lord, even if it means that from this place we need to go and have a conversation or two, Lord, we commit to doing that. Lord, if, if, if this idea of thanksgiving is something that's, that's much more personal relating to our relationship with you, Father, we simply thank you for the forgiveness that you offer to us. And, and for anybody who has never accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, we just say, Father, I believe that your son Jesus died on the cross for my sin and that you raised him again on the third day. And I, and I I just accept that free gift of salvation and forgiveness. Father, I thank you for this rich table that you have set before us. And I thank you.